I don't know if you uh, remember that uncomfortable moment when you sat down with your kids and talked about sex. I don't, maybe you haven't done that. You should if you haven't as a parent. You know, uh, one of the most one of the things I love most about being a pastor is getting to do marriage counseling. And uh, and Robin and I usually do it together uh, or several sessions together. And and we love session two in our marriage counseling. Session two is our sex talk, and I, and I love it. I love that session. Robin always says, that's just your favorite, and it is. It's my favorite session, and, and I tell couples, I, I say, look, we're not uncomfortable talking about sex, and, and some of them, it's funny, because they're, they're like, you're a pastor, and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're not uncomfortable talking about sex, and, and we would encourage, we encourage them in their marriage not to be uncomfortable talking about sex, and we tell them this every time. We say, if you can get over the discomfort of talking about sex, number one, it's going to make your sex life better. You will enjoy it more. It will be healthier. It will be more satisfying, more, more fulfilling. And, and it's interesting, in our culture, we have this, oh, let's not talk about sex. We can't do that. And I said, if you can get over that discomfort, it will make your sex life better. Second thing, I say, and I say this to every one of them, if you can do this, if you can get over the discomfort of talking about sex, it's going to make you more effective talking to your children about sex. Because here's the reality, and I tell, this, I tell every couple this, you don't want your kids learning about sex from their fourth grade friend who learned from their eighth grade brother. You want them learning about sex from you. From your, you want them to learn your values. Honestly, you want them to understand God's plan for sex. And that's my prayer for us today. You know what? I, I, sex is both good and extremely dangerous. And it's my prayer that we leave today, as, as we encounter this series on marriage, as I choose you, it's critical for us in marriage and for us as we raise our kids to, to have God's vision for sex. And, it, and, and I pray that we get over the discomfort. I and mean, we have teenagers here. Um, our, we had middle school kids in the last service, and, and our, our high school kids are in this service. And I'll, and I'll tell you, if we are uncomfortable in church dealing with this subject, then, and in our families dealing with this subject, we are leaving our children to fend for themselves and learn from where? The movies? Hollywood? Or, or, or school? What about us? What about church? Shouldn't this be one of the places that our kids grasp a vision for God's plan for sex? Of course it is. And so it's my prayer that we are a church that gets over the discomfort and say we're not afraid to deal with this subject. And, and, and not afraid, I mean, the Bible's not afraid to deal with it. God is very clear, has very clearly dealt with it. Now, we've been in this series over the last uh, several weeks, and we're, we're coming to an end. Next week's our last sermon in this series, and, and it's called I Choose You, and it's, it's an important series for us because we've been dealing with these two passages of Scripture where Jesus was being tricked by the Pharisees, and, and he's, he was tricked on this subject of divorce. And what's interesting about what Jesus did, both in, in Matthew's account and in Mark's account, Jesus didn't buy into their trap. And what he did was say, 
look, I'm not going to necessarily buy into your trap on divorce. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to God's plan for marriage. Now, when it comes to sex and marriage, and, and we've got to understand that God created this. God gave us this gift called sex. And in this passage in Matthew 19, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Matthew 19, Jesus draws a beautiful picture of the sexual relationship as he points the Pharisees to God's plan for marriage from the beginning. Now, um, it's my prayer that we catch this. So I want you to stand with me. Would you stand? And this is our practice in our church. We stand when we read God's word just as a way to acknowledge that this is God's word to us. We have a high view of scripture here meaning that, that we believe that Scripture is useful for correction, for, for training in righteousness, for, um, for, for understanding. We turn our face to the Scriptures and allow God's Word to, to shape us. And we say, God, we're going to believe what you said. Now, that's our view of Scripture. We stand just in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. It says this, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. For the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Now, did you catch this? Now, I want you to think back of the last wedding you went to. Now, most definitely when we go to a wedding and you see someone getting married, I believe something supernatural is taking place. That, that this couple that is before you the second they make that vow to God, the second they say, I do, supernaturally God is joining them together. But I want you to notice verse 4. Jesus kind of alludes to this. He answered, as he said, have you not read? Because the, the Pharisees here had this, this view of marriage that was consumeristic. And this is one of the, the main messages we're getting in this series is that marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not this consumeristic contract. And, and we live in a world that has, has struggling with marriage. I mean, all through history, people have struggled with marriage. They've had a lower view of marriage than God intended. And that's where the Pharisees were. 
And Jesus said, look, have you not read that he, verse 4, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So, so most definitely that's happening spiritually at the wedding ceremony. But then Jesus points to this physical reality that, that these, this couple will consummate this marriage and come together in one flesh. He's talking about sex there. Now it's interesting. He says they are no longer two but one flesh. Look what he says. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, it's interesting to me that a lot of people will say to me, well, if you're a Christian, you'll have this prudish or stuffy view of sex. Because, oh boy, I can't believe you're a preacher, you're talking about this, and we're in church, oh my goodness, we're talking about this. Well, let me tell you something, if you follow Jesus, man, you should have an exciting sex life. It should be passionate, and, 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 and you know, that's, the, 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 that's what God intended with sex. And it's important that we understand this. And we got to, all of us should say amen to that. I mean, yeah, that's right, there we go, thanks. Um, but what's interesting, look at verse 9, and I've been reading this over and over again, it's interesting. Verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Jesus even points to the sanctity of sex. And I think about what, sec- what, what a false view of sex is doing to our families, to our, our marriages. I mean, I mean we're, Christians are devastated because they don't have a proper biblical understanding of sex. Our kids are, 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 are left to fend for themselves in a, in a world that's throwing all kinds of crazy messages at them. And I'll tell you, we've got to come to stop and do a time out and say, God, what do you think about sex? Because the biblical view of sex is, he, the, the Bible has a high view of sex. God has a high view of sex. And I've even caught myself saying this a few times. I've corrected it now. But, um, but like when I would talk to couples, I'd go, or teenagers, when I was a youth pastor, I'd go, stay pure until you get married. You know, I'd say that sometimes. And I'd go, wait a minute. I, I can't say that. I mean, it's not like after you get married, you can be impure now. No, sex is not impure. Sex is good. So, but look at verse 9. I think it's interesting. He, I mean, verse 10, look with me. It says, the disciples said to them, to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Now, what I think the disciples are doing here, I think they're being smart aleck. I think they're going, well, I guess we just shouldn't marry. And Jesus takes their smart aleck response, and he answers them seriously. And he goes into verse 11. We've read it every time, but I've no, we've not stopped and, and taken a stab at it. But let's look at this. He said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. Jesus answers them seriously. Not everybody can receive what I'm about to tell you, boys. And then he says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Now, a eunuch is a person that is unable to have sex. They can't do it. Now, he says some people were born that way. Some people made themselves that way by men and harems. And if you, they, would, they would take a man that would be to guard a harem and they would, they would uh, fix him so that he would not be sexually uh, aggressive to the women. 
that he was guarding. Then there were some who, uh, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, they've made themselves unique. So, so what is Jesus saying? What is he talking about there? Here's what I think. I think he's, I think he's talking about celibacy. You know, back in the day of the of, in Jewish life, celibacy was unheard of. You didn't. You were expected to be married. You were expected to have kids. And and what Jesus is doing, he's elevating the call of celibacy. Do you know there are some people who are called not to be married? And he said, if you take that path, you can make a big contribution to the kingdom because you can be focused on the kingdom. Now, there's a lot of people that will say the Bible teaches that you should be celibate. And that's not, the, that's not what's happening at all. The Bible says it's, a good, it's an option. And so you don't have to feel bad about yourself if you're single or feel less of a person if you're single. That actually could be a good thing for you. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And the disciples are going, huh, wow. That's an option. But you know what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul was single, made a big contribution to the kingdom. Some people say Paul and Jesus were anti-marriage. That's not true. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, it's better if you burn with passion that you can be married. And that's, that's not bad. That's not, a, that's not, oh, you guys can't control yourself. No, it's a, it's a good option too. It's marriage, single. The point is follow what God leads you, live the life God leads you to live. That's the point. I love that. Now, but here's what we need to understand. Passions out of control can be damaging. That's why Paul said we should not burn with passion. Be married. I'll be honest with you. For me, I was like, I need to be married. I do, and I did, and I am, and I love it. It's great. And I know that following Jesus, God moves us to a healthy sex life, a passionate sex life. So let's, let's, let's understand what God's word says here. If you follow along in your notes, I hope you, hope you do with me, hang with me today. Because um, truths about sex, sex is everywhere. This is not rocket science. I'm not going, oh, Chris, thank you for telling me something I've never known before. Wow, you're such a great pastor. No, sex is everywhere. But here's what that's doing. It's, we have a high knowledge of sex, but there's very little wisdom. And you know what? We've, that's why in, a, in church that we've got to embrace it. We've got to address it. And that's why in our, as, as parents, we can't just go, I'm too uncomfortable to talk to my kids. And, and, and they're uncomfortable. And yes, that, those are all true. But we've got to get over that. Because it's too important because there is so much knowledge around us about sex, but there's very little wisdom. And we've got to understand the wisdom of God when it comes to sex. Now, number two, sex is God's idea. This is God's plan. I mean, I'm not being crude here, but, but the orgasm wasn't invented by King Henry VIII, right? God made that. God gave us these desires. God gave us these passions. And, and, and it's important that we understand that sex is God's idea. It's not dirty. It's this beautiful expression of God's ability, of God's creation. He blessed his creation by giving us sex. And, and, and he is honored through, through the act of sex within marriage. 
And so I want us to see that, it's, that, that to follow Jesus, to, to embrace the Bible, to, to embrace being a Christian, you should have a high, we should have a high view of sex, a blessed view of sex. Now, I mean, think about it. Think, what the Bible, think of the Bible. The Bible is, is very passionate. There are parts of the Bible that are very erotic, like Song, Song of Solomon. You know, the Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it. It is R-rated. You know, it's... They were not allowed to read it till they were adults. Now, have you thought about that? Like, oh my goodness, that's the Bible. They, they couldn't read the Bible because it was too passionate. They said, you got to wait on that. Look at Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. I love this verse. I mean, if there's ever time to interpret the Bible literally, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 is it. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Amen, right? Let's interpret that. Let's, let's embrace that. That's right. But I want you to know God created sex. It's God's idea. Third thing, sexual messages are confusing. We live in this world that is throwing messages at us that are confusing. And I think about even now. Look, there are pastors that will take the Bible and that will get up in front of churches in our city and will say, look, the Bible permits homosexuality. And, and I've just got to be honest with you, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as, as a preacher with a high view of Scripture, that recognizing God's Word is, is authoritative, it's inerrant, it is inspired by God. The Bible does not permit homosexuality. To, to embrace that, and many people do, they, to be biblically honest, you are stepping outside of Scripture. And it's just not biblically honest to make that claim. Now, our culture, that's a confusing message. And I hear people say, well, my pastor says it's okay. Okay. But the Bible doesn't. And so we have to be clear on that. And, and the, com- the confusing messages are, are, are prevalent. And, and this has happened all through history. You know, when you think of Augustine, if he's a famous theologian, his view of sex was, was it was just for procreation only, that just for having kids. And, and it was your duty, and you should do it, but you shouldn't enjoy it. And that was Augustine. I mean, my goodness, he's a rock star theologian. But he was during a time, living in a time when they were suppressing pleasure and they saw all pleasure as bad, and, and, and he was wrong. You know, God has created sex for procreation, yes, to, to have children, but also for recreation. It's a, it's a gift. It, it's a uniting gift in marriage. Sexual messages are confusing. Number four, God has a plan for sexuality. Now, we got to hear this. Now, I'm not discounting when I, when I make my statement of, of homosexual temptation. I know people who are genuinely tempted with homosexual passions. And you know what? Uh, I, I don't disagree with them when it comes to there is a drawing that direction 
But, but just like whether it's heterosexual temptation or homosexual temptation, regardless of what passions that you struggle with, we got to realize passions are normal. We all will have passions. But, but that doesn't mean we should, like every passion that I have, passions out of control are dangerous. And we've got to learn to deal with our passions. You know, uh, pa- um, you know, sexual desires are normal, but here's the reality. Desires force choices. Now, wise choices lead to life. Poor choices lead to pain. So, so let me call a timeout here. And I want to ask you a question. Do you honestly believe God loves you? Do you honestly believe that God's plan for you is the best plan? You know, when Maggie was little, she was in the third grade, and uh, Maggie's my youngest and redheaded, and I love having a redhead, and with all the things that come along with that, I love it. And uh, and and we had some rules in our family, and 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 I said. uh, uh, and she's in the third grade, and she didn't understand why I'm making her do these rules and follow these rules. And she was like, why are you doing this? Why, Dad? And I got, on, I got real close to her. I got down on her level, and I said, I'll tell you why. It's because I want your life to be miserable. <laughs> and she looked at me, and she goes, no, you don't. And I go, you're right. I go, Maggie, I love you. I love you, and I want what's best for you. Though I barely passed the third grade, I finished the third grade, and I know better. So would you just trust me? And she's like, okay. Well, how many times have we done that to God? Okay, God, I guess I'll trust you. And, and that, that's okay. He's patient with us. I mean, but we're drawn to obey the Lord. We don't, I don't obey God with my passions to get God to love me more or, or to earn my salvation. No, I was saved. And, because, and after I became saved, after I came to Christ, I, I'm like, God, I want to obey you. I want to honor you. So let's recognize this today. That following Jesus isn't about rules. It's about life. It's about living a life that God has for you. And, and, and I want us to embrace God's plan for sex. Now, now how do we handle the pressures? How do we handle the, the struggles? Well, can we just take a few minutes and, and just embrace some practical wisdom? Number one, just practical wisdom and how do we navigate the pressures and the sexual temptations? Uh, number one, control yourself. You know, we, we've got to control ourselves. Like, like a couple months ago, I, go to, I went to New York City, and I got to go to uh, this deal with the Museum of the Bible that's opening in, in Washington, D.C. in uh, this fall. You've got to go to it at some point. It's going to be amazing. But, but I went to New York City, and, and I went with uh, a couple of pastor friends of mine, and, you know, and uh, I was there for two nights. You know what would not have worked in my marriage? If I would have gotten home and go, hey, Robin, you know, sorry, I, I was gone for two whole nights, and, and I couldn't control myself when I was in New York City, sorry. That, that wouldn't have flown very well with my wife. You know what? My wife expects me to control myself, right? 
And that's what a real man does. A real man is, is not living without control. And so, I, you know, here's what I like. Teenagers, ladies, I, I want to challenge you, all of you teenagers that are here, ladies, if you ever go on a date with a boy and he says, I'm sorry, I just can't control myself, you should boot him so fast that he doesn't know where the foot came from, right? Because, because you don't ever want a boy that says, oh, I can't control myself. And boys, if you ever say that, and you, you should never say that. Just, you should never say that. And men, self-control, that's, that's the mark of manhood. And, the, and uh, um, uh, you know, it's funny because these messages, that, oh, well, you should just not learn to control yourself. What does the Bible say? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, it's God's will that you're to be sanctified. You're to avoid sexual immorality. Look at this. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. We're to learn to control ourselves. And so without apology, as now we don't do this to get God to love us more. We do, we do this because it honors the Lord to live as people that are controlling ourselves. Now, what does that mean? Well, we discipline our mind. I want to challenge you to control yourself. You discipline your mind because that's where the temptation always comes. You, it begins in your mind. Guard what you see, what you hear. You've got to guard those things. You can't. It's just the old principle that we've always heard, garbage in, garbage out, right? Guard your mind. And then hear this. Uh, listening to confrontational accountability is, is critical. That, that you've got to be a person that has confrontational accountability in your life. That's what church is. That's why you should, uh, and I, I struggle with, and, and as, as a pastor, I want to know our flock. And I, we tell our pastors all the time, we want to know you. I'm not your speaker and we live in a day where church is that way in a lot of areas. You don't know your pastor. You should. And, and, and the truth is we need accountability with one another. Now, I had an intern one time that, I mean, he was such a great guy. Uh, he was engaged to be married, and, and he was, uh, they were about four months from their wedding. And he said, Chris, man, I just want you to know I am struggling. Uh, I can't keep my hands off my fiance, and I'm struggling. And I was like, all right, man, I'll hold you accountable, man. Just come on, you're almost there. You're almost at the finish line. Wait. He's like, okay. So the next week he came, he's like, man, I struggled. Man, I didn't do very well. Okay, all right, man, come on, you can do it. Here's a verse. Let's memorize it together. The next week, man, I didn't do very well. Four weeks in a row, that same story. And I said, dude, I'm not helping you at all. I said, I'm like a priest to you, and I, that doesn't work. I don't, I'm not Catholic. I don't think that's the way to do it. But, but I said, so you need, to, you need some accountability. I got an idea because this girl he was marrying, her dad was a pastor, and uh, he's like 6'3". And he's got, like, I don't have one of those cool pastor voice. I'm always jealous of those guys that have the good pastor voice. I don't have that. And, uh, but he had that, man. He was deep. He had this deep voice. He was intimidating. And, and man, he's tall and big guy. And, and I said, I got an idea. Why don't you go ask her dad to hold you accountable? And I'm thinking to myself, there ain't no way I'd do it, but you ought to. Um, 
And, and he goes, he looked at me, he goes, I think I'll do it. And I'm like, okay, go ahead, man. And I, and I go, well, let me know how it goes. And I was like, I can't believe he's going to do this. But he does, he does it. He goes to him and he said, would you hold me accountable? He's like, absolutely, I will. And, and, uh, and, and uh, the next time it got hot and heavy, he's like, dude, I'm good. I'm, I'm, see ya. See ya, I got to go. I got to go. Because that was real accountability. Okay? Now, here's the point. We need accountability to live with self-control. I want to challenge you with that. Now, secondly, as we practical wisdom, uh, memorize Scripture. Memorize the Word of God. Psalm 119, 9 through 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And I can't tell you how powerful it is to have Scripture on your heart. That God's word gets in my way. God's word, it corrects my mind. God's word helps me know what to do. That's what God's word does. That's a practical wisdom, self-control, memorize scripture. Number three, establish well-known boundaries. We need boundaries. You know, you have to have some of those relational boundaries that, that we have. Like, like, don't let another a person of the opposite sex get too close. Like, if you are struggling with same-sex attraction, put boundaries up. we got to do that. We've got to have boundaries. Boundaries are good for us. Those, those technical boundaries. That's a new day. The, the delivery system for sexual temptation has radically changed since the iPhone came into being. The smartphone came into being. And I'll tell you, we need technical boundaries. There's a great, here's a suggestion. I, I get several emails every week from, it's called Triple X Watch. 3X watch. It's, a, it's an online accountability system. Gentlemen, if there needs to be some of those boundaries, that's a great step. Get some other men that says, hey, help me with this boundary. Hold me accountable. Those physical boundaries that we avoid the, the appearance of evil. Come on, we need boundaries. Psalm 16, 5 and 6 says this, you, Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God wants the best for you. Embrace the boundaries he's put in place. And lastly, we got to buy in to God's plan for sex. And this is who I... This is what I pray is the foundation in our marriage. The whole foundation of when I said, Robin, I choose you. That means I choose her above every other person. I choose her for a lifetime, even though we're gray-headed now. I mean, she's not, but I am. I'm less hair than I had. And, you know, I don't look like I did when I graduated college when I said I do, I look different. She looks the same, but I look different. But, but we buy in to God's plan. Now, what does that look like? What is God's plan? Sex is it's this. I got a couple of quick bullets. Sex is for use within marriage between a man and a woman. I mean, that's God's plan. I mean, think about sex. It's the, it's the one 
human act that has the power of creating human life. And so it demands a covenant relationship. That's why God put that act under the most sacred relationship known to mankind, which is marriage. And that's why I pray that we we buy into this, that that sex is a gift. And and sex outside of marriage, I like what C.S. Lewis said. He says sex outside of marriage is like chewing up food without swallowing it. Sex is such a powerful act, it demands this covenant-type relationship, this sacrificial relationship. And we've got to recognize the Bible's clear. It's between a man and a woman. And any time we go outside of marriage and outside of gender, you're stepping outside of God's plan. And it's dangerous to do that. You know, we got to recognize that sex is meant for procreation, for recreation. That, that, and it, it's meant to, to help your marriage. What does sex do? His plan for sex, to buy in for God's plan. The second bullet there, sex creates a bond in your marriage. It's a bond that happens in your marriage. And when you engage in sex in your marriage, it, it unites you together. It connects you, and, and, and it's this... And this act is so profound, it's so significant that that covenant relationship, it just demands that kind of commitment. And see, we, we buy into the lie that sex is just physical, but it's not. And to, to, to make the statement, to, to embrace the idea that sex is just like a physical act and not miss the emotional the spiritual, the union that takes place. The problem in Christian circles is not that that we have too low of a view of sex, well, excuse me, that we have a high view of sex. We, We don't have a high enough vision of what God intended with sex. And it's this beautiful union that God has created. Now, think about, uh, and you've got to get the book, The Meaning of Marriage. He has a chapter where he, he articulates this better than I'm going to right now. But, but consistent sex renews your covenant to one another. Now, guys, you got to write that down. Honey, see? See? Our pastor told us to do this today and, and start this covenant renewal today. You should. Every time... That sexual relationship takes place. It's a covenant renewal. You're, you're, you're saying to one another, I choose you today. I sacrifice for you today. I love you. I, I'm, I'm one with you. And it's this beautiful picture. And, and this is why for uh, marriage is such a relationship of security and vulnerability and, and commitment and see, the world has thrown at us that, oh, this one-night stand is more exciting and, and, oh, you need to have that kind of thrilling unknown. No, the greatest, most passionate, most fulfilling sex life is in that committed relationship of choice and sacrifice and love. Sex deepens your commitment to one another. Sex is for whole life, self-giving. It's, it, it, I love what, what Tim Keller says in, in, in his book. He says, sex in marriage is like oil to a car engine. 
Without it, the friction between all the moving parts will burn out the motor. Without joyful, loving sex, the, the friction in marriage will bring about anger, resentment, hardness, disappointment, rather than being the commitment glue that holds you together. It can be a, become a force to divide you. And I want to challenge you, never give up working on your sex life. So if you have kids, go home and lock the door. Yeah, that's right. And if they knock, say, stop knocking. If you're bleeding or dying, keep knocking. If not, go away. Amen. Anybody ever had that? Is that just our house? We've said that. Sorry. i got to be careful. Robin told me there's some stories I can't tell, so I'm not going to tell them. My prayer is that we embrace God's plan. Now, if you're single today, and you may be going, well, golly, Chris, I want to be married. I'm single and I want to be married. You know, do you know, I want, I want you to have this thought. What about this thought? What if the reason that you want to be married is God is preparing you for marriage? Maybe it's God that's giving you that desire. And so pray. Pray for that that marriage. Pray for that relationship. Begin to look to the Lord and daily go to him and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my face to you. And you watch God either answer that prayer or he may change your heart and go, Lord, I'm good. That's okay. I'm good. But go to the Lord. And he'll, I mean, Psalm 37, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But here's my point, don't, let's not be a people that, that just follows what the world says. No, God, we're going to look to you. We're going to get over the discomfort of talking about sex in our family, in our church. And let's stop pushing it under the rug and avoiding it, but saying, God, we want your plan. And I want you to know about God's plan. It's good. Oh, it's good. You know why? Because God looks down at us. He got on our level and he says, I, I love you. And I want what's best for you. Trust me. Trust me. That's who we got to be. That's who I pray we are. You know, an invitation like this, <laughs> I thought to myself, okay, great. I'm going to give an invitation, and ain't nobody coming. Because you're like, oh, yeah, that pervert's come down praying. All right, about time, you know. Um, no. Let me tell you something. Mom and dad, we ought to come and pray for our kids. In the first service, my wife and I got down on our knees and prayed for our children. Because they're growing up in the world where these messages are coming at them. We prayed for our marriage. God, we want to we have eyes for one another. We want to embrace this relationship that, we, that you formed. Look, we got a lot of reasons to come to the altar. So can I challenge us? Let's embrace God's plan for sex today. If you, know, if, if you don't know Jesus, that's where it begins. Come to know 
the healer? Because some of you may, just the, the, that subject alone brings up so much hurt in your life for all kinds of reasons. Can I tell you, there's nothing like knowing the one that can heal your hurts and your pains. That's what Jesus has done. 